let's get ready to sing the praises of our God. Are you ready this morning? Come on.
worthy today, church. Amen. Why don't you turn to the person next to you, give him a hug, greet him, tell him you're so happy to see him in church this morning. Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff here, and we are just so excited that you have joined us today to worship God, to praise Jesus, to, uh, to listen to his word. It's, it's just an exciting day to be in church. Um, we are in a series uh, all about conflict, which is kind of an interesting topic to talk about, but I, I think even through that, we want to ask ourselves, how can we glorify God? How can we worship God even in the midst of this conflict thing, and how can we resolve it in a way that honors him and so that's what this whole series is about so uh, it's, it's just been a really great series for me personally as I think about you know my own life and my own journey and so uh, hopefully it has been for you as well if you're visiting with us we want to say welcome thanks for being here uh, we are we're thrilled and excited that you're here with us too as you walked in on your seats um, there's a little card if you can grab that just look at it for a second today is the official day that we kick off our registration for Bible camp uh, Bible camp is one of the most exciting things that we do around here for our kids. Um, it's a chance for us as a church to jump in all hands on deck and serve and uh, really give um, Jesus to the next generation in a very powerful way. And so it's an entire week where kids can come and learn and grow and what it means to know and follow Jesus. And that's what we're all about here. And so we're really excited about that. So if you have a kid who is going into kindergarten um, all the way up through um, ending their fifth grade year, we want you to register them. You can go to uh, BibleCampAtHopeVale.org, and you can register them there. Um, you can actually, today, we're going to have out by that robot, as you walked in the lobby, you saw that gigantic robot thing. Out by there, there are, are computers that you can actually register uh, your camper at today if you'd like to, or you can do it at home if you go to uh, BibleCampAtHopeVale.org. Um, you can do it there, too. It's really exciting. We also want you to volunteer. We want you to get in the game and volunteer for that week at whatever capacity you can. So if you go to that same website, there's a little button you can click that says volunteer. Do that also. You can sign up today also to do that. This is going to be one of the greatest weeks in the life of a kid here at Hopevale. And so we are so excited about that. And so we want you to participate and get involved, too. Well, as the ushers come forward this morning, we are, um, we're going to pray for our offering. We get to worship God in lots of different ways, and giving back to him a portion of what God has blessed us with is one of those ways, and so we're going to do that here today. Let's pray together. God, we just uh, we thank you for who you are, for what you've blessed us with. Um, God, that we get to do uh, ministry here, and we get to impact the lives of kids, and you have you impact our lives as well, and so we're so thankful for that. And God, we just want to to say we love you and we want to worship you here today. And part of that is, is giving back a little bit of the resources that you blessed us with, knowing that you're going to use that in an awesome way um, to reach more and more people for you. And so, God, we do that with a cheerful heart and with an expectant heart, knowing that you're going to do amazing things with it. And so we love you. We want to just say that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what this week's been like, no matter what hardship you came out of or that you're currently going through, that God is for you and that his name is greater than any other name. 
It's the most powerful name. It's the most beautiful name. It's the most wonderful name. So today, as we sing this song, let us remember that God is for us. Even when we don't have the words to say, even when we don't understand our situation, that God is for us and his name is great over all. Your love was greater 
adore you today, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word, God. And we just pray as we enter into this time of word, God, that our hearts would be ready, that they would be open, Lord, to what you want to say to us today, God. We love you so much, Lord Jesus, and we praise you and we thank you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. to get tired of saying this, but you have brought your A-game for worship again. Tremendous singing, tremendous songs for us to lift our eyes upward and renew our faith and our love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, happy June. Summer is finally here. School's almost out. Bible camp is just around the corner and things are shaping up for another great week of ministry. As Sam said, this really is the highlight of what we do, I think, for kids. This one week, every year, we just have a great heritage, year after year, of Lord bringing hundreds of children to meet and encounter Jesus in a very personal and powerful and fun and creative way. And so we would encourage you, for the kids in your lives, to sign them up. And we'd also encourage you to check out volunteer opportunities as well. Either talk to someone out in the lobby or... Um, look online. There is definitely a place for everyone to get involved. Well, this June right here also means our second month of a two-month series on conflict resolution called Collision Course. Last month, we discovered God's better plan for navigating our way through conflict, which instead of just reacting to conflict, you know, that's kind of our normal uh, reflex, you know, going on the attack, trying to prove that we're right, we instead begin by looking up. We look up to God for perspective, that he is our first stop and not our last resort. And I tell you, if you take the songs that we just sung, the beautiful name of Jesus and this Revelation song, and we began there, you know, how transformational would that be in our relationships? And then from that, Looking upward, we look inward for inspection. And when we do, it slows us down. It makes us more patient with people. It also softens us up, and it makes us more merciful as well. And then finally, like we talked about last week, we then look outward and move forward with the other person. We begin to take steps towards resolution, right? Upward, inward, outward. Last week, we also then discovered five specific action steps we can take. Depends on the situation, which or how many we will take and where we stand with the other person. Those five steps are uh, we apologize, we overlook, we address, we forgive, and we release. And I'm so glad I was able to talk about these on a communion Sunday because when God asks us to do difficult things like these in our pursuit of peace, we're reminded of the great lakes that he went to to bring us peace through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so because of that peace that we experience from him, we're now able to express that same kind of peace to others, even to those who, quote-unquote, don't deserve it, right? And this is just the liberating power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in us and through us. So that's last month, but today... 
And all throughout the month of June, we're going to shift our focus in this series a little bit, and we're going to look more specifically about how we can apply these principles and navigate our way through conflict in some of the most challenging relational situations that we face. Now, the principles we've already covered will be the same regardless. Those don't change. Likewise, the overall goal that we're shooting for is the same as well. You might remember our theme passage for this series, Romans 12, verse 18. Here it is. Why don't you say that with me? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Peace is the goal. And as idealistic as that sounds, we are called by Jesus to be peacemakers throughout our relational world. And we do that, of course, by the grace of God. And we do that as far as it depends on us. So with that in mind, here's our roadmap for the next four weeks. This week, June 4th, today, we're going to talk about navigating church conflict. Next Sunday, June 11th, we're going to talk about navigating marriage conflict and collisions. And um, I think I feel a cold coming on even (laughs) right now as I say that. (sighs) It looks so good on paper, but seeing it up on the screen, okay, no. Uh, June 18th, navigating home collisions and, you know, what it is to work through conflict as a family. And then June 25th, last Sunday in June, we will navigate uh, culture conflict, culture collisions, what it is to live out our faith in this world. Church, marriage, family, culture. How do we take all that we discovered last month and apply it to these four specific relational situations and potential conflicts. That's the challenge that we're up against. And so today, we're going to begin by tackling this first one, conflict in the church. Now, I kind of joked about this last week at the end of this service, that a message about conflict in the church really doesn't apply to us here at Hopel, right? But we know other people at other churches who certainly need this message, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) I have this friend, right? You know how that goes, right? Well, I say that in jest because conflict happens in every church. It does, including this one. See, the question isn't, can I find a church that's free of conflict? Because those don't exist. No, the question is, can I find a church that handles conflict well? Can I find a church that handles conflict well? Can I find a church that is full of people who are willing to submit to God's wisdom about resolving conflict and pursuing peace? And these are the questions we should be asking, and these are the goals that we should be striving for here at Hopewell. Now, back to the opening message back in the beginning of May, I took a little time up front to tell you why this matters. Why does it matter to talk about handling conflict and resolving it well? It matters because the honor of our God and the credibility of the gospel message, they're at stake. They're at stake. See, you can have the nicest building, big crowds, polished services, dynamic programs, correct beliefs, but if we handle conflict poorly, if we're more about holding grudges than pursuing peace, then everything that we say we stand for is going to ring hollow and empty. It will. Here at Hopewell, our mission statement is simply this. We are a community of grace and truth, inviting people to know and follow Jesus. So as a church, we're not a collection of individuals. We're a community of Christians centered on Jesus, the one who is full of grace and truth. And yet if we as a people in our relationships are riddled with conflict, we're not going to be an inviting church. No, we're going to be a repelling 
church, right? We're going to be a church that turns people off and gets in the way of them experiencing the joy, the peace, the beauty, the life, and the love that Jesus offers. That's what's at stake, and that's why those of us who call Hope Valley Church home, why we should care about this so deeply. See, we need to be about so much more than just, you know, the petty little he said, she said, he did, she did, he hurt, she hurt, my feelings. Because when a church can't get past that, you know what happens? Satan wins. Satan wins. The enemy takes great delight in destroying churches, and the number one way that he does that is to implode them from the inside out. To implode them from the inside out. To keep unresolved conflict festering and to preoccupy God's people with staying mad, being right, and getting even. Where those become the most important things to us. You know, even as I say that, I know it hurts some of you to hear that. It does, because you've personally been through an experience like that in your past, maybe at a previous church. You've gone through firsthand what it is to see things get really ugly between people who used to be the best of friends. It happens, and we shouldn't be so naive to think that it could never happen here at Hopewell, because it could. And so today, as we look at some passages from the Bible, I really want us to take this to heart. Now, if you're visiting with us today, or you're newer to the church, and you're still deciding on whether this is the place for you or not, we're, we're glad you're here. And we invite you today to, to listen in, because this is kind of a church family talk, all right? But for the rest of you who call Hopel your church home, this isn't just listen in, this is listen up, right? I want you to listen up. I want you to pay attention to what God has to say to you through his word and the part that you need to play because how well or how poorly we do this depends on all of us, all of us. So how, is we, how can we as a church handle relational conflict well? Well, for starters, I'm going to have us look at two very important passages from the New Testament. They both come from the Gospel of Matthew, and they both come from the very words of Jesus himself, because to him, this was so important. The first is found in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 21. Here's what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait, how did we get so quickly from conflict to murder, right? All right, we don't say it, but we think it sometimes, right? So what's Jesus doing here? Well, be patient. He's going to connect the dots for us. Next verse. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister that is in the faith will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which back then would have been a very offensive term, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, for context's sake, as you go through Matthew chapter 5, Jesus strings a bunch of these kind of statements together. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? Where Jesus starts with a well-known and agreed-upon statement of morality from the Old Testament, like, you shall not murder. But then he takes it a step further. So in this case, he's like, yeah, we can all agree that murder is wrong. That's not the way to resolve a conflict. It's not a way to stay angry or to get back at someone who's wronged you. We can all agree that, but let me tell you what else is wrong, he goes on to say. <coughs> Anger is wrong. Verbal abuse is wrong. Insults, name-calling, labeling, judging, they're all wrong. 
They're all wrong. So you might not kill them, but if you've got this simmering rage, anger, bitterness below the surface that is the result of unresolved conflict, then it's going to come out somewhere else or it's going to come out on someone else. And when it does, it's not going to be pretty. So what's the alternative then? Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. How important is it to address conflict with another brother or sister in the faith? Jesus says that it's important enough to interrupt your worship of God so that you can first go ahead and deal with it. Pretty incredible stuff. Interrupt worship so you can deal with it. Leave your offering, you leave your gift there in front of the altar. Stop what you're doing then. Go be reconciled to them. Finally, you can come back and offer your gift. Now, this is more just my personal opinion, but when Jesus says there you remember, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, I think he's talking more than just mental remembering. I think it has to do with those moments in our lives when we sense a prompting or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Times in our life, whether it's worship here or it's throughout the week somewhere else, when our hearts become sensitive to the still, small voice of the Spirit. And so there are going to be those moments when the Holy Spirit speaks to us about specific relational situations we need to deal with. That's what he's talking about, remembering Not just here, but something we feel in here. All throughout the Bible, we see a connection. A connection between the vertical, our relationship between us and God, and the horizontal, our relationship between us and others. The two go together. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to both love God and love people. Conversely, Scripture also warns us in 1 John 4, verse 20, verse 21. Look at this. Whoever claims... To love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister again in the faith. What a challenging passage. That if we run around saying, I love God, I love God, we've got the bumper sticker, we've got the t-shirt, everything, but hate and anger are simmering in our heart toward a fellow Christian, the Bible calls us a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Strong words. Don't shrug them off, though. And so we go back to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, when the Holy Spirit reminds us that a brother or sister in Christ has something against it, then we need to deal with that. And pronto. And dealing with it either means we're going to do a couple things. Either means we're going to initiate a conversation or it means we're going to offer an apology. Right? Initiation, initiate a conversation or offer an apology. Now, apologizing happens when we know exactly how we've wronged them, right? We know what we did. We know what we said to them, about them. And like we saw last week, if you weren't here, we talked about an apology having three elements, right? And to apologize well means you say it specifically, you own it completely, you mean it sincerely. Say it, own it, and mean it. That is our response, right? That's how we go when we know and we're sure of the specifics. But then sometimes we don't know what we did, do we? You're just picking up some kind of negative or hostile vibe 
from the other person, but you are honestly clueless on why that is. So you can't apologize for something if you don't know the details, but you can initiate a conversation when you know something's not quite right. And I would say especially that's needed the closer the relationship. So I don't think Jesus is saying that we need to spend all our waking hours constantly analyzing the status of every single casual acquaintance we have in our lives, okay? That's not what he's saying. But there are times, and you've been through those times before, when something doesn't feel quite right between you and a fellow believer, and you know you need to address it. And so Jesus says here, you know, you need to pay attention to that. As hard as it might be, as tempting as it is to just want to put it off or forget about it, when the Holy Spirit nudges our heart like that, we need to respond. So what might initiating a conversation look like? Well, it's reaching out to a fellow Christian, saying something like, hey, I feel like we need to talk. Do you have some time where we can get together soon? See, in my experience, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. You know, that first, meeting face-to-face in person is always the best way to go. It's always the best way to go. It's better than a phone call. It's much better than a text, a post, an email, or anything else like that. See, when you go that route, you leave things open to interpretation, or should I say, misinterpretation. So face-to-face, and then second, don't ever ambush anyone or catch them off guard. Asking for a time to meet is much better than just, you know, running up to them right at the service today and just dumping the truck, right? Now, if it's a minor thing, then maybe you can address it head-on, but if it's something more major, give them a heads-up. Initiate a conversation. Meet together. However you do it is secondary. The fact is, the main thing is actually doing it. And so Jesus says, first, (laughs) go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Well, Matthew 5 is the first key passage I wanted us to look at. Here's the second, Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. They listen to you, you have won them over. Now, we spent some time last week talking about this, right? This this very specific action under the heading of address or the biblical word rebuke. Last week I said that a rebuke is speaking an uncomfortable truth out of love about another person's sin because you honestly have their best interests in mind, right? And that's the exact same spirit captured here in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, that is if they repent, they confess, if they apologize, you have won them over, or as another translation says, you have gained a brother or sister. And so as hard as it is to have that conversation, it's worth it because they didn't stay captive to their sin, but rather they've changed for the better. That is the win. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the ideal, but we know that the ideal sometimes doesn't happen, does it? So verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that, and he's quoting from the Old Testament here, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The Bible is clear, experience confirms that sin can have a blinding and hardening effect on us. It can And so when someone points that out in our lives, we don't always take too kindly to that. We can be stubborn, we can be resistant to take responsibility for our own sin. And so when it's just between two people, sometimes that's what you think, right? My side of the story versus yours kind of standoff. That's why Jesus adds this verse, where one or two others come along as well, not as a posse, not as a lynch mob, 
but as fellow caring Christians who too want to see God honored in how this conflict is handled and God honored in the life of the one who is unrepentant, who's being confronted in love. Now I realize that these kind of actions sound incredibly countercultural. I mean, I do, to actually get up in someone else's business and tell them that they're sinning, right? Who are you to tell me how to live? But here's the thing. We're not talking about everyone. We're not talking about stopping people on the street. No, we're talking about the church family. We're talking about brothers and sisters in relationship who worship the same God and experience the same blessings from a same gospel. So these kind of conversations, they're not meant to be witch hunts, no. They're meant to be handled, as I said last week, prayerfully, patiently, and purposefully. Done by people who have looked upward and inward before they look outward and move forward. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them as someone who has no interest in God and just wants to live however they want. In other words, send them on their way because it's clear they've made their choice. Now, if it ever gets to this point, we're talking about someone with an incredibly hardened heart. They didn't listen to one. They didn't listen to two or three. And now they're not even going to listen and respond to the church as represented by its leaders. Now, we could talk at length about this last verse, how we feel about it, what it looks like, whether it's still relevant for today. We're not going to go there this morning because I want to stay mostly on the interpersonal level, on relational conflict. But let me say this, you know, verse 17 is rare, but it happens. I mean, to me, I think a church, including our church, we need to uphold what Jesus teaches, but we need to do so in a spirit of grace and truth, right? With an end goal always being repentance and restoration. It begins, though, by going directly, right? Not bringing the church, right, you know, going to the other person and talking to them. Well, as you think about what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, we're reminded, we're reminded that conflict still happens because sin still happens. Sin happens. Even with the best of Christians, we still make selfish choices because we're, we're still progressing in our faith. None of us have arrived yet, and so this side of heaven, we all need to be navigating through conflict as it happens as a church, and to do that well in a way that honors the other person and honors God in the process. So everything we learned about pursuing peace last month, we need to put into practice this month and beyond. And so as I begin to wrap up with a few final principles, I, I want you to think about just your own relationships with other Christians, especially those here at Hope Bell, and any unresolved conflict you might have, okay? So let's do this together kind of as an exercise as a church and think through these principles in our own lives and our own relationships. Here's the first principle. Believe the best, not suspect the worst. Believe the best in your fellow Christian, not suspect the worst. What a place to start. You know, if you were to hand me your cell phone, your smartphone, whatever you use, I could learn a lot about you just by looking at your settings, right? I could. Are you the type who has a sound go off every time there's a call, a text, a tweet, a post, a comment? Are you more selective with your sounds? Are, are, are you the kind who has all your accounts heavily password protected with these highly sophisticated codes? Or are you just more kind of a one, two, three, four, five kind of person, right? 
All of us, if we know how to use our device, go into our settings and we make certain default choices of how we want our phone to act. In the same way as we relate to others, we all have our own selection of internal default settings, right? And one of the most important settings, choices we make is this. Is my natural tendency to believe the best in others or is my natural tendency to suspect the worst? We all have a setting. We all make a choice. I know that sounds simple, but it has profound implications for relationships in the church and even more specifically, how we handle conflict. See, if, if I suspect the worst in others, then I am going to read meaning into everything. I am. Why didn't they call me? Why won't they respond to my text? Why did they look at me that way? Why didn't they gush when they opened up my present? Why did they capitalize that one particular word in the email they sent me, right? And on and on it goes. When we suspect the worst in others, conflicts are going to pop up all over the place like a field of dandelions, and it's going to happen just like that. Conversely, though, when we believe the best in each other, we're a little more hesitant to jump to a conclusion when something just feels off, right? So, for instance, maybe today after worship, you're going to pass someone you know in the lobby, and they're going to walk right by you without saying hi. Now, let's face it, something like that can be bothersome, no question about it, but if you're in default setting is to believe the best in others, then we're going to be willing to suspend judgment. We're going to resist the temptation to immediately go to a really dark place. Listen, Jesus gives us as Christians a new command to love one another as he has loved us. And as Paul says in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that love, by its very nature, needs to be more trusting than it is suspicious. So let's check our heart settings, right? Let's be the kind of church that believes the best in each other, that that's our starting point. But then let's face it, there are going to be those times, right? There are going to be those times when someone else's words and deeds make it hard for us to do that, right? It's hard. We want to believe the best. We want to not jump to conclusions and suspend judgment. But there's just too much evidence to let things slide. So what do we do in that case? Well, if you can't believe the best, then go immediately to them, go directly to them, and go solo to them, right? Go immediately, don't delay. Go directly, don't gossip. And go solo, don't gang up. We've already talked at length about this first one when we walked through Matthew chapter 5, that when the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, go offer an apology, go initiate a conversation, do it. Don't delay, just do it. Even if you didn't start it, even if it's mostly their fault, if you feel something is not quite right, don't rationalize your disobedience and put it off. Now, like I mentioned before in this series, there is a difference between responding and reacting, so make sure you're not just flying off the handle, right? But also don't procrastinate. Go immediately. Don't delay. And then also go directly. Don't gossip. See, here's where a lot of churches and a lot of Christians get this wrong. We know we need to have a conversation, but either we're too mad or too hurt to do so. So instead of going directly to that person, we bring others in. We let them know how poorly this other person treated us, right? And in the process, intentionally or unintentionally, we paint this picture about them that's just not accurate. And then from there, word keeps on spreading and the conflict worsens. 
I love the wisdom of Proverbs 26:20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. We go directly. If it involves you, go directly. If it doesn't involve you, butt out, okay? <laughs> really. And then finally, go solo, don't gang up. See, that's another lesson from Matthew 18. You know, one person goes, two, one or two others go, and then later on, right? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. I love the way it says, just between the two of you. See, this is where we need to start. We need to start there because Jesus knows that if we involve a lot of people right in the beginning, it's going to put the other person on the defensive. And things are just going to spin out of control from there. You know, in my experience as a pastor, most of the conflicts I see usually are most just under, you know, they're just mostly misunderstandings, right? Two people who are just kind of missing each other, misunderstandings that need to be talked through and listened to. Not always, but mostly. Now, I think there are times when we need to get advice on how to approach another person because, you know, the situation may be really messy or, or incredibly delicate, Right? I think that's okay to involve another Christian in a situation like that where it's, they're wise and you trust them and they're confidential, right? But that's the exception, not the rule. No, in most cases, it just needs to start with you and the other person. So to believe the best in each other and not suspect the worst. If you can't believe the best, then go immediately and go directly and go solo for starters. There may come a point when you need to include others, but not usually and certainly not right away. And then finally, I want to leave us with this third principle. Bring the golden rule into your conflicts. Bring the golden rule into your conflicts. Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus shares these words that we now know as the golden rule. It's simply this. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's another way of Jesus saying, if you want to sum up the Bible on how we're supposed to relate to others, do to others what you would have do to them. It's the law of mutual respect. Treat others the way you wish to be treated. And so if you're trying to resolve conflict and pursue peace with another Christian, put yourself in their shoes, right? Put yourself in their shoes and ask the question, if the roles were reversed, how would I want them to approach me? What would I want them to say to me? How would I want them to say it to me? When would I want them to say it to me? Where would I want them to say it to me, Right? Because the words you use, the tone of voice, the location you meet, the time of day, all of that matters. I know this sounds simple, but if everyone here is committed to live and to think this way, it would even further revolutionize our church. It would. There is a a reason this basic law of human relationships has stood the test of time. There's a reason that when we read that verse, it rings true in our hearts. In the same way that we don't want other people nitpicking over the tiny little specks of sawdust in our own eye while ignoring the plaints in their eye, we need to do the same with them. In the same way that we would like a little grace from other people because we're not always going to get it right, we need to be able to extend that same kind of grace when they blow it. And on and on it goes, do to others what you would have them do to you. That is the golden rule. And this is the kind of understanding that we've got to bring into our conflicts and the way we address those and approach those with each other. In a moment, you know, as you think about this message, um, we're going to respond with prayer and a song of worship, right? So appropriate. But before we do that, I just want to share this from my heart as a pastor. I am so glad 
that I get to preach a message like this to a church like you. I do, I mean that. I mean, I can imagine right now that there are pastors around the country speaking to their congregations about this very thing because the church is ready to implode. And so I'm so grateful to God that as I come to worship here at Hope Valley, I know that's not the case. Now, we're not perfect. We're not a perfect church. There's no such thing. But I also know that there are a lot of people here, a lot of you, who in everything you want to do, you want God to be honored, right? Everything. So that when we talk about living 168 for the Lord, right, that he affects every hour of our week, every area of our lives, you're willing to include difficult areas like resolving conflict and pursuing peace. And so it's exciting to me as a pastor to think that this is going on because it tells me that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's working its way into every fiber of your being. It's making a difference. It's changing your life that instead of being captive to anger and fear and hatred and bitterness, you're letting the love of Jesus live in you and shine through you. And so here's my word to us. Let's keep that going together. Think about it, in a world that seems so divisive, right? more than ever, let's keep believing the best in each other. Let's keep navigating through conflict well, thinking through the golden rule and living out Jesus' new commandment to us to love one another and to show the world that we are truly his. And so as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll pray together. We're standing in one, we're standing before the Lord, and then after that, we'll respond with a song. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Jesus, you said that we are to love one another as you have loved us. So you're not asking us to draw from an empty well, but you're asking us to draw from an infinite ocean of your great grace towards us. And that changes everything. Yes, Lord, we're going to have conflict. No question about it. Intentionally, unintentionally. Misunderstandings or major slights, right? And so, God, the question isn't, is that going to happen? The question is, how are we going to respond when that happens? So, God, make us the kind of church that's willing to go to hard places, but to do so in love because we want to see you honored in all things. God, we can't do this on our own, so we lean heavily on your grace and your love. And Father, just even with the hundreds standing right now, would you speak about our lives, speak to us about our relationships, and whether it's been kind of a long-standing grudge or just something that happened the other day where we kind of missed each other. Lord, let us respond. Let us initiate. Let us apologize. Let us address whatever it is you want us to do. Show us what to do, how to do it, and then give us the grace to make it happen. This we pray by your grace and for your glory, all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
What a great reminder that we, together, are the light of the world because He, Jesus, He alone is the true light of the world. Well, next week we will continue our series, uh, Collision Course. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about navigating marital collisions, and um, there are rumors that I may be joined by a special guest on that one, so we're looking forward to that next week. But as you go from here... May you go and may you let the light of Jesus shine in you and through you. God bless you.